It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, May 16th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. State legislators lay the groundwork for California to become a bastion of reproductive freedom. And this weekend's mass shooting in Buffalo is only the latest in an uptick of domestic extremism. Tonight, the California Report investigates two Golden State terrorists and their plot to blow up the headquarters of the California Democratic Party. Then, National Native News gives us the troubling findings of two new reports. And KVMR's Paul Emery talks inflation and job numbers with economist Gary Zimmerman. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Over the weekend, abortion rights rallies, large and small, were held across California, sparked by worries that the Supreme Court will soon overturn Roe v. Wade. In downtown L.A., crowds gathered in front of City Hall and heard from a variety of speakers promising to fight to protect the right to choose and blasting anti-abortion opponents. Governor Gavin Newsom has vowed to make California a bastion of reproductive freedom, increasing access to services to women who might travel to California for an abortion. State Senator Sidney Comlogger, a Democrat from Los Angeles, says California must play a national role in the struggle to preserve abortion rights. She spoke to me at the Los Angeles rally. Job number one for California is to create a playbook that we can share to show and to incentivize states to step up to protect women since it seems that the Supreme Court can't do that. What does that mean though in terms of California resources, California dollars? It's how you leverage the largest that is your state budget. We can figure out so many levers to pull. I want California to be a reproductive safe haven, a sanctuary state for women across the country and the world. And you want the infrastructure put in place to do that, right? I want funding for the infrastructure to be put in place to do that. Last week, Governor Newsom proposed a $125 million reproductive health care package, including $40 million in grants to reproductive health care providers. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. The James Irvine Foundation committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. The mass shooting in Buffalo this weekend, in which 10 people were killed at a grocery store, is the latest domestic terrorist attack in this country. These domestic extremists have sprouted up across the U.S., including here in California. Last year, two Bay Area men were arrested and charged with plotting to blow up the headquarters of the California Democratic Party. Prosecutors say the men plan to launch their attack on or after Inauguration Day. In an effort to understand why, KQE reporters Julie Small and Alex Hall interviewed their families and friends and reviewed hundreds of pages of court documents. Ian Rogers owned an auto repair shop in downtown Napa, fixing Jaguars and Land Rovers for wealthy wine country clients. Jared Copeland used to work for Rogers at his shop as a mechanic, and the two often lifted weights together at a nearby gym. 
In the weeks after Joe Biden's win in the 2020 presidential election, court records show the men vented to each other in encrypted messages about their outrage and support for President Donald Trump. Just before Thanksgiving, Rogers texted Copeland, I think right now we attack Democrats, their offices, etc., Molotov cocktails and gasoline. Copeland responded, we need more people, bro. Gonna be hard. Two days later, Rogers sent Copeland the address of the California Democratic Party office and wrote, take a brick, break a window, pour gas in and light. But that plan was interrupted. These are the pipe bombs seized by Napa County Sheriff's deputies when they arrested Ian Benjamin Rogers. Just five days before Inauguration Day, law enforcement searched Rogers' business and home, where they found Nazi paraphernalia, books on making explosives, thousands of rounds of ammunition. 49 weapons, a white privilege card, and more. The day after Rogers' arrest, prosecutors allege, Copeland contacted the leader of a militia they both belonged to and was told to delete his communication with Rogers. When the FBI showed up at Copeland's house, they say, those messages were missing from his phone. Six months later, agents arrested Copeland in Sacramento. Rogers and Copeland now face multiple federal and state charges. The FBI says their case is part of a nationwide surge in domestic violent extremism. There is absolutely an uptick. We are seeing an increase in both the level of violence and the number of individual actors since the summer of 2020. John Blair is the assistant special agent in charge of counterterrorism at the agency's San Francisco field office, which investigated Rogers and Copeland. Blair declined to comment on the ongoing case, but KQED spoke to an anonymous tipster who mailed a package to the FBI warning them Rogers was heavily armed and had threatened violence. And prosecutors allege that Copeland and Rogers belonged to a California offshoot of the Three Percenters, an anti-government movement whose members were arrested in connection to the Capitol insurrection. The Southern Poverty Law Center says at least 45 anti-government groups, including four militias, are currently active in the state of California. But Blair says simply belonging to an extremist group isn't a crime. We don't care what you believe because we're not allowed to care what you believe. The tipping point, he says, is when a person makes specific plans to carry out violence. It's the difference between somebody saying, they really ought to go out and get that guy and teach him a lesson, and somebody saying, I'm going to go out and get that guy and I'm going to teach him a lesson. Prosecutors say Copeland and Rogers crossed that line. But their friends and family told us they were just blowing off steam. He never was going to do it. That's Ian Rogers' wife, Yulia Rogers, speaking from the doorway of her home in Napa. It's just ridiculous for me <laughs> because I knew him. He was maybe texting something stupid things to his friends, but it was like maybe little boys, like playing, I don't know. Cliff Martin says Ian Rogers doesn't belong in jail. Ian is not a terrorist. He's not a threat to the public. Martin's a retired tool salesman Rogers bought equipment from for years. He had too much to lose to do something like that. It just, this doesn't make sense. Rogers faces a statutory maximum of 45 years in prison. Copeland faces 25. I don't think Jared realized the severity behind the conversation. Copeland's cousin, Novice Dublin, says Copeland's family in Kentucky was shocked at the charges. He says it just didn't sound like Jared. Growing up, he wasn't the one who was out hunting and fishing and trying to figure out how to take 30 firecrackers to a pop bottle and make it blow up. That was the rest of us. Copeland's attorney says his client has entered a no-contest plea and is awaiting sentencing. Rogers could enter a plea as early as this month. The two men remain in custody.
For The California Report, I'm Julie Small in San Francisco. And I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. And that's this edition of the California Report for Monday, May 16th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Super liberal is how Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt described tribes in the state. Sunday, Governor Stitt voiced concerns that tribes will set up safe havens for abortion clinics following a new state law banning abortions after six weeks of pregnancy. More from Governor Stitt, as well as troubling findings from two reports, one focusing on U.S. Indian boarding schools, the other firearm suicide rates, up next in National Native News. This is National Native News. I'm Megan Kamrick in for Antonia Gonzalez. Tribal leaders and others are absorbing the impact of the recently released report on boarding schools from the U.S. Department of Interior. An organization in South Dakota aims to honor students who died at boarding schools in that state with a memorial project. South Dakota Public Broadcasting's Lee Strubinger reports they also intend to push for more follow-through from those responsible. The new federal report shows South Dakota had 30 boarding schools, the fourth most in the country. Federal government policy forced assimilation for Native children, including language and culture eradication. Amy Sazu is Sichangu and Oglala Lakota. She's the executive director of the Remembering the Children Memorial Project. Sazu says there's more to come from the federal investigation. Very notably, it's it's just like a first step. Tons of records that still need to be located, churches and offices and and city offices and state offices that need to be held accountable, Um, graves and children that need to be found and protected. So far, the investigation has identified at least 500 deaths at boarding schools across the country. It's found 33 marked burial sites, six unmarked burial sites, and 14 locations with both marked and unmarked burial sites. The Interior Department says it will not disclose specific locations of burial sites to protect against grave robbing, vandalism, and other disturbances. Local researchers previously determined at least 45 children died at the Rapid City Indian School, which is now the location of the Oyate Health Center. The memorial project will honor those children at a spot behind West Middle School in Rapid City. The group will break ground on the memorial later this year. For National Native News, I'm Lee Strubinger in Rapid City. Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt says he is concerned that tribes in the state are working to set up safe havens for abortion clinics following a new law banning abortions after about six weeks of pregnancy. Stitt, who is Cherokee, told Fox News Sunday that tribes in Oklahoma are, quote, super liberal. They think that uh, you could be one one thousandth tribal member and and not have to follow the state law. And so that's something that we're watching. Uh, But I'll tell you this. Uh, Oklahomans will not take will not think very uh, well of that if if the tribal mem- tribes try to shut up abortion clinics, abortion on demand in eastern Oklahoma. Nearly 40 percent of eastern Oklahoma is reservation land, according to a 2020 U.S. Supreme Court ruling, which makes those areas subject to tribal and federal laws. No Oklahoma tribes have announced any plans to establish abortion clinics on tribal land. Native Americans and Alaska Natives suffered the largest increase in firearm suicides from 2019 to 2020. Robin Vincent with the Mountain West News Bureau has more. 
Dr. Tim Simon co-wrote the new CDC report that showed this deep disparity. He says there are multiple factors at play, including poverty. Firearm homicide and suicide are associated with economic conditions and how racial and ethnic minority groups are more likely to live in communities with high surrounding poverty. The report found that 24 percent of the U.S. population lived in counties with high poverty rates in 2020. For American Indians and Alaska Natives, that percentage was nearly double. Simon says potential reasons for the increase in firearm suicides include a spike in gun sales and the many stressors people have faced during the COVID-19 pandemic. For National Native News, I'm Robin Vincent. If you or someone you know is thinking about suicide, there is help. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is at 800-273-8255. For National Native News, I'm Megan Kamrick. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the Albuquerque Hispano Chamber of Commerce's Convention and Tourism Department, providing complete convention and visitor planning services to Hispanic and Native American conventions. Information on convention and tourism services at ahcnm.org. Support for law and justice-related programming provided by Hobbs, Strauss, Dean & Walker, a national law firm dedicated to promoting and defending tribal rights for nearly 40 years. More information available at HobbsStrauss.com. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Now let's take a look at today's regional news. Dan Frizzella steps into the role of Nevada Joint Union High School District Superintendent come July 1st. The former Nevada Joint Union Assistant Superintendent takes the place of Brett McFadden. In an open letter, McFadden says Frizzella has been with the district for 11 years, serving as Nevada Union High School principal for some of that duration. With last year's wildfires still fresh in Californians' minds, a new report estimating that more than 4.6 million properties in California, or 40% of the state, has at least a moderate risk of burning in a wildfire sometime in the next three decades is not helping ease any concerns. Climate research nonprofit First Street Foundation bases its analysis on projected increases in temperatures, drought conditions, shifting humidity patterns, and fire fuel densities. Sacramento and Placer County are both in the top 10 California counties with the most properties at risk of wildfire, according to the projection. This from the Sacramento Bee. Caltrans continues their work on State Route 20 in Nevada County for the next few weeks. Be prepared for travel delays and one-way traffic control at several spots along 20. Construction crews are widening the roadway near Conservation Road and Pine Needle Lane for a left turn lane. One-way traffic controls and 20-minute delays between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. weekdays are anticipated through mid-June. Similar delays are expected in the Washington Road area of 20, where construction crews continue work on a left turn lane with extra shoulder room. Caltrans cautions motorists these 20-minute delays will continue through mid-June as well. Now let's take a look at our regional weather. The National Weather Service forecasts elevated fire concerns this Thursday and Friday. We'll see warm and dry conditions with periods of breezy winds. 
For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight mostly clear with a low around 49. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 79. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight mostly cloudy then gradually becoming clear with a low around 33. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 72. In Sacramento and Woodland, tonight mostly clear with a low around 54. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 92. Yes, you heard correctly, 92. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Inflation, labor market stats, what does it all mean? Up next, KVMR's Paul Emery goes over the numbers with economist Gary Zimmerman. This economic report is sponsored by Rick Kelb, Wealth Management Advisor with Northwestern Mutual since 1983 on Spring Street, Nevada City at rickkelb.com. What economic news do you have for us uh, this week? Well, Paul, I think the most important new economic news recently is the labor market statistics that were released um, because they'll have a direct bearing on the prospects for both inflation and the risk of a recession. And that will affect the interest rate monetary policy decisions of the Federal Reserve. And those those labor market statistics provide us with both a you know a current snapshot of the employment market, how it's doing, and the strength of the underlying trend in the job market in the couple of years since COVID hit the economy and created a very short but extremely deep recession. So those job numbers, you know, as we keep watching them, will tell us whether we're, you know, if they show continued very rapid job growth that, you know, points to more inflation risk. And if job growth starts stalling or, or actually falling, then we'll, we'll start, you know, having to worry more about a slowing economy and recession risks. Well, Gary, uh, why don't you remind us about just how severe the COVID recession was? And uh, realistically, who can help the economy get out of such a deep recession without waiting for years for the economy to recover? I mean, how bad was that recession compared to the financial crisis recession that came earlier? Well, looking at the labor force and labor market, the U.S. economy lost about 22 million jobs in only two months, or, you know, that's about 13 percent of the labor force that was suddenly unemployed in the spring of 2020 after COVID hit the U.S. and and the global economies. I mean, that means that roughly, you know, or a little more than one out of every eight workers in the country uh, was, you know, laid off or, you know, was no longer working. Um, So, you know, in contrast, when the U.S. job market, you know, fell, it fell by a large number, uh, almost nine million workers uh, from its peak before the financial crisis, you know, until it finally bottomed out in, in two, 2010. But, you know, the, so the COVID recession was just much, much deeper. Um, you know, the good news was it didn't last as long. It you know, only lasted several months compared to a year and a half for the financial crisis recession. Why do you think the COVID recovery um, added jobs so much faster than the financial crisis recovery? Well, I think one important difference in in 2020, the economy didn't suffer a major financial crisis like it had in 2008 when you had many financial institutions that failed and the financial markets and money markets that were freezing up and not working. So 
you know, in addition, the, obviously the Federal Reserve and the U.S. government responded very quickly this time as well after you know, seeing what happened in, in 2008. So the Fed dropped short-term interest rates uh, quickly to zero and used the quantitative easing or QE bond purchases to drive down longer-term interest rates as well. And that stimulated investment in consumer durable purchases like cars, appliances, furnitures. And, you know, it uh, also helped lower mortgage rates to stimulate the housing sector. You know, and the federal government helped by spending trillions on rescue packages to support employment and consumer spending and to keep overall demand in the economy from falling off and worsening and extending the COVID recession. So you know, by the summer of 2020, the U.S. job market was starting to recover and strengthening and, and did, was doing so really relatively quickly. And with workers back on their jobs, that you know helped consumer spending and helped drive the rebound. Okay, now here's a tough question. The U.S. economy didn't grow in the first quarter of, of this year, 2022. How is the labor market doing? Is it still adding workers? Okay, yeah, the labor market remains strong, Paul. In the first quarter, the economy added an average of over 500,000 jobs a month. That's a very strong number. And the unemployment rate declined from 3.9% in December of last year to 3.6% in March, and then again stayed there in April. Uh, moreover, the um, the April labor market indicators you know, generally remain pretty strong, and there's a record number of job openings. Wages are rising. Um, there's a lot of job switching or upgrading going on. Um, There are very low numbers of of layoffs in the economy. So these are all indicators that are consistent with a a very tight labor market. And um, so when the economy added 428,000 payroll jobs in April, that's that's a big increase as well. And the you know, the unemployment rate remained very low at, you know, 3.6%. That's, you know, near its lowest in many, many decades. So it's it's still going. <laughs> well, people have jobs, but uh, it's costing a lot more money to live. I guess that's one way to look at that's it. That's right. So, yeah, yeah. Well, one more question, Gary. Has the economy finally added back all of the workers lost after COVID? And do the April employment numbers tell us how close the economy actually is to full employment? Well, the economy added back about 6.7 million jobs in 2021. That was a record. And it has now added over 2 million jobs so far this year um, as the economy has continued to rebound. At least the labor markets have continued to rebound. So about 21 million of the 22 million lost jobs have now been added back to U.S. payrolls. So that's that's the good news. And and again, the unemployment rate is very near its lowest in over 50 years. That was 3.5%. So it's only at at 3.6%. And so and most of the labor market indicators, you know, suggest that, you know, at at 3.5%, Six percent. That's at or very close to full employment. It's probably actually even lower than the Fed policymakers consider full employment to be in the long run. So labor markets are tight, and that that of course does add to inflation as well. Um, And that's you know part of the the reason the Fed is trying to slow down the economy at this point. Well, boy, lots of news, Gary. Try to sort all that out. Thank you so much for uh, for laying it out there for us so we can understand kind of as best we can understand what's going on. Thank you so much. Uh, you're welcome, Paul. Thank you. Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the San Francisco Reserve in San Francisco. 
and currently is a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria, where he teaches courses in economics and finance. That's our newscast for this Monday, May 16th. KVMR gets support from Nevada County Registrar of Voters, informing registered voters that ballots should have arrived by mail. Information to request a replacement ballot at 530-265-1298, mynevadacounty.com slash elections, and MEC Builds, Nevada County roofing contractor with over 20 years of experience. Providing complete roofing services, gutter products, sun tunnels, and skylights. MEC Showroom is at 316 Colfax Avenue, Grass Valley. MECBuilds.com I'd like to take a moment to say a huge and heartfelt thank you. That's from all of us here on the KVMR News Team. We have grand plans for this little news crew, and it's thanks to your support that we might just make those happen. We'd love to be able to cover more community events and bring you the latest local news. If you value being in the know as much as we do, you still have time to support your neighborhood radio station. Head on over to kvmr.org and pledge your support by clicking Donate in the top right corner. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. As always, thanks for tuning in, and once again, thank you for your support. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off.